and welcome to Inside the Pressure Cooker, where cooks and chefs share their stories of life inside the kitchen. Very early on, my first job as a chef at a small restaurant in Laguna Beach called Taboo Grill, uh, where I was kind of chef and partner at, at that restaurant. And that was my first chef job, and I was so scared to death of, of failure, I think, that I succeeded uh, very well. But what we had there was a small restaurant, like a 41-seat restaurant. We had probably about five waiters, six waiters maybe all altogether. Um, and we would have about three waiters on every night, uh, on the busier nights, uh, two on the slower nights. Those waiters, I mean, we spent so much, I spent so much time with education, with, with wine, with beer, uh, with food, with pairing kind of thing, what to suggest, going through the food, going through the wine, letting them taste wine, educating them on wine, something I know a bit about. Uh, and, and those waiters thrived. I mean, they were, they were salespeople, man. They were fantastic. I had some of the best waiters in the world because they realized, hey, if I follow, if I follow chef, he's going to lead me to the pot of gold. But that's it. Um, man, it was really a lot of fun to connect with Jeff on this episode. Uh, talk a lot about uh, Well Done Chicken. Um, and just kind of the state of the union as far as uh, from the front of the house, the back, and um, where we're at today. Um, and, and just sharing a lot of knowledge for, for some new people coming into this industry. Um, here's the rest by Chef Jeff Platt and I talking about food, culinary school, service staff, and training. Yeah, I so say you What's mentioned that? you had some stories. Oh yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I, I, I think outside of stories, I, I think, like you said, um, this, the whole idea here is to kind of give people coming into this industry a little bit of a, a taste of what it's like, um, to be a cook more importantly, uh, and, and to be a manager, uh, as a chef. And I, I think those are two very separate, separate things. Um, yeah. and the chef aspect, I, I don't know how it was with you going through culinary school. I know with me, uh, there, there really wasn't um, any classes on what it's like to be a chef. And people think, oh, you went to culinary school, you're a chef. And, and uh, just, like, just like college, you don't, you don't get out and you become you know, the CEO of a company because you have a, a business degree. Uh, <clears throat> you, know, you, you have to work and work and work, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, that is literally what it's like coming out of culinary school. You're really just kind of young and dumb. Um, and you think you know a lot about yeah, and you really think you know a lot about food until you get into a kitchen. You realize you really don't know much at all. Um, but you know, culinary school is is actually really uh, good. I, I always tell people that that ask me, you know, should I go to culinary school? And I always say, why? You're working in my kitchen now. You you really don't have to. Uh, it's not always necessary. And I always recommend for people who do want to go to culinary school. Work in a kitchen first, right. because I would bet eighty percent or more of the people I went to culinary school probably couldn't hack it in a kitchen because it's it's a tough environment. You know, it's it's physically demanding, um, emotionally it, it's it's a bit strenuous, and it's not for everybody. You know, and some people are maybe going to culinary school are more suited uh, for what I do now, which is you know private chef. Um, I think culinary school is really good for that. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily always prepare you for the rigors of, of working in a kitchen, unless, of course, your culinary school has a working kitchen, a working restaurant. 
a working restaurant that's got some volume to it. Yeah, and and when I went to culinary school, there there was no uh, there there was no kitchen. We we didn't have a restaurant uh, to okay. work out of. So it was just going to class, making a couple of recipes every day, and then going to work or going home. And uh, so <clears throat> so I, I think that's what I would want to get across uh, more so than just stories necessarily. But um, sure, you know, if there's a way to be. Uh, instrumental or helpful in any way to to uh, a younger generation or anybody who's actually older that wants to get into cooking um, you know get a job in a restaurant and if that means you have to be a busboy or a dishwasher then that's what you do uh, you know you strive for excellence in everything you do um, I found personally I moved up the the chain very quickly because I, I never said no. Uh, I showed up to work not on time I showed up early which in my opinion is on time. And I did everything that was asked of me and I never said no and I never questioned why because it didn't matter. The whys didn't matter for me. Uh, what mattered to me was, was improving my education with food and, and learning about working in kitchens because um, prior to culinary school for me, I, I never, I've never worked in a kitchen. I was actually bartending at the time at Chart House uh, here in uh, Dana Point, California. And, you know, that, that's what I was doing. And, and I'd never really stepped foot in the kitchen until culinary school. And then after that, it was, you know, wow, it just kind of took off from there. Right. So, what I mean, from bartending to, to culinary school, why'd you get into, what, what made you make that jump? Yeah, um, I think my wife smacked me in the head and said, hey, you can be a bartender your whole life. And, and uh, she's like, you know, you, you love to eat. Why don't you go to culinary school? And I was like, well, that's maybe a pretty good idea. And um, I've always liked food. And so, you know, I decided it was just one of those things. It was just like, yeah, let's do this. And so I really didn't know what I was getting into. Honestly, really did not know what I was getting into. And uh, I think for me, because I'm a just a, physically a very hard worker uh, with everything I do, uh, it, it, seemed, it seemed like a natural fit for me. I did really well in culinary school. But again, that's just book grades. Um, and when I got out of culinary school, going into my first job uh, at Roy's in Newport Beach, and he was nice enough to hire me. Uh, this was about 2000 or 2001. I want to say 2000, actually. Uh, when I got hired there, I was making $10.50 an hour. I think minimum wage was $10 or $9 or something like that was minimum wage at the time. It might have been lower than that, actually. Um, so I was like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to pay off culinary school or my rent for that matter, but that, that's what it is. You know, I, I didn't see it as, you know, oh, this job sucks because I don't get paid enough. Um, I saw it as opportunity and, uh, that kitchen was pretty amazing. We, you, you move fast in that kitchen. It's a high volume restaurant and, uh, it, it taught me a lot. I, I only worked there for one year. Uh, I had another opportunity after that, but I worked there for one year and I, I learned so much and I moved up so fast from starting out on veg, you know, where you're just setting plates basically, uh, and, and moving it up the chain essentially to the next person who adds something that he did to that plate to, uh, like a saute station or the grill station. And those were those two guys, um, that worked grill and then worked the flat top, you know, they kind of controlled the flow of everything because they, they worked all the proteins. So they weren't sauteing veg or putting mashed potatoes on a plate, so to speak. Uh, those guys, those guys were working all the proteins. So they, they controlled the flow. And I worked my way up in like, I don't know, six months to the flat top station and they, and it's a fish house. So, uh, primarily, so that's probably 75%. 
uh, of all the food coming out of that kitchen goes through that flat top, you know, the proteins do. So, um, you know, I took advantage of every opportunity. I didn't think of it as I'm not getting paid enough and I'm getting overworked. Um, I think that's a wrong mentality to have uh, in, in any job, quite frankly. I think, again, take advantage of every opportunity you have. Uh, I Up to the last chef job I had, I washed dishes on holidays. I washed dishes on any day, quite frankly. You know, I go over and give the, the dishwashers a break and wash dishes myself because there was something to learn. There was maybe a, a better flow. Uh, maybe we needed a better flow in the dishwashing station that I wasn't aware of because when I get back there and do it, and maybe I get a little frustrated from time to time with it, and it's kind of like, okay, we need to work on a better flow for these guys because their job is harder than it maybe it needs to be. You know, it's it's important to see every aspect of a kitchen. Yeah, now, I'm, I'm kind of rambling on here, chef. chef so <laughs> you might have to. You're going to have to reel me in a little bit. I'm just going to go all over the bat. No, sometimes that's kind of best part of it um i mean so we kind of just jumped into this um and and kind of rolled into it kind of talking about culinary school but let's give everybody a quick elevator pitch on uh who is jeff yeah thanks so i i you know uh went to culinary school about 22 years ago and got out and worked in a few different restaurants uh i essentially wasn't sure i wanted to work in kitchens i thought i thought it would be a, a great experience i thought it'd be really cool never realized i would move up as quick as i did uh in the ranks and um and, and i did and it was very exciting for me and I, I i'm more passionate about food and about learning um, i always tell people if you if you like food learn geography because uh, it's you know food's obviously very global and it's something everybody every country every every religion can speak to so for me, uh, it was, it was a little encompassing of everything. Uh, it, it was geography. It was learning about food. It, it, it was the education that was more than just learning how to make a, a butter sauce kind of thing, um, sure. that, that I really enjoyed. So, you know, moving around the various restaurants, I, I think what I've gained over the years more than anything is, is insight, um, a sense of, practicality with the job, uh, making it, re- making, taking the job and, and making it um, workable. Uh, and that's just something that, that you learn with time. And uh, so for me, there's my pause. <laughs> I feel like my elevator pitch is more like a sermon. Nah, you're good, man. Um, yeah. So... I mean, you've been into this for over 20 years now, 22, 23 years. Um, yeah. How did you know it was for you? Well, and that's interesting because I, I, I don't know that I, I knew until I got out and really started working in kitchens. I, I had fun in culinary school. It was fun to go to school every morning and, and meet the people there and, and make some friends. Uh, and then getting out and working and, and making new friends. I mean, uh, the restaurant industry industry is full of characters. <laughs> Characters is the least. right way to describe it, you know, and, and so you, you do, you, it's, it's dealing with so many different personalities, uh, which makes you a good chef, by the way. Um, it's dealing with all those personalities and, and <clears throat> finding out who you may, you know, agree with and not agree with. Um, but for me, <clears throat> sure. I, I think, uh, sorry, I'm a little hoarse this morning. No, you're good, man. <clears throat> No, and I mean, there's so many personalities out there. I mean, that's kind of where the, the idea of this podcast came from, was just to kind of get some of these personalities out there. Um, yeah. 
you know, but the other part too is like you mentioned, like being a great chef or good chef, so to speak, is learning to work with all those personalities, how to communicate with each one, uh, because there is no, anytime you get into leadership, right? There's, there, there is no copy and paste approach to communication. I mean, you've got to be able to talk to everybody differently in their own way to, to motivate them and get shit done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that's actually probably the most important part of your job as a chef, uh, that, that you, you learn on site, you know, and you learn as you go and you have to be very cognizant about how you do talk to, uh, the people that work with you and for you, uh, because it, they can make or break you, you know, um, absolutely. My, my last job, I had over 20 employees in the kitchen and it's, it's a lot of work managing that many personalities, but it's necessary. You have to know how to play to each personality in order to get them to thrive, get them to work at their best. And, and that's a lot of work in itself. Yeah. yeah I mean, is your part coach, part mentor, part counselor. Yeah, for sure. You know, oh, and with that, <laughs> with that comes disciplining with that comes firing also. And I hate to say I've gotten really good at letting people go at firing people, but that's really part of the job. You know, you get, you get bad eggs, uh, or people who do dumb things. And, uh, you know, I always like to think, Hey, I didn't fire them. They fired themselves, you know, so it makes my job easy. Uh, but then other times you just have performance issues and it's time to let people go after, after a while, you know, and those, those are hard to do. You know, I had to yeah. actually, I remember I had to fire my friend who was my sous chef at a job. And, and that was probably the hardest fire I had because I really liked him. And I got to tell you, probably today, I'll bet he's a better cook than I am. I'll bet he's more knowledgeable than I am with food. And, and I love that guy. Uh, we're still friends today, of course, but uh, I, that was probably the hardest fire I had was firing a friend. So note, note to anybody listening, don't, don't hire your friends. <laughs> Yeah, friends or family. Yep, that's right. Um, no, and I mean, yeah, I've I've been in those positions where I've had to fire people, and uh, it's it's never easy because you're right. I mean, it's one of those hey, they fired themselves because they put themselves in the spot where now I've got to react to it. Yeah. Um, but even though that the whole concept of you know they fired themselves, um, it still just put me in a bad mood all day yeah. um even if i mean 20 I, I, I couldn't even tell you how many people i've had to let go um and it, it just even though you kind of get numb to it it's still it doesn't get easier you just get numb to it yeah agreed yeah you, you, but i think there's you know again you always look for the lesson so you're always kind of prepping yourself for that conversation and you're always prepping yeah. yourself for well what if they what if they come back and say well i disagree you know, I don't think, I don't think you, I, I think you're wrong, you know, and, and being able to have that conversation with, with that individual that you're letting go. And it's, it is a skill. It is a skill. Yeah. And I also looked at letting someone go as an opportunity for just kind of looking at some insight to me, because like you said, you're always trying to read that person and how do I work with them and how do I help them grow? So I always ask myself, like, you know, how did I fail this person? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's I, a good point. So, you know, it, and so that's why it was never really easy because I always took it somewhat personally, where it was like, man, I, I, I failed somehow. I failed in whether it was communication or motivation or, um, yeah, most of the time, no, I hadn't failed anywhere because it was just 
that person just wasn't. It didn't matter what I did. They weren't yeah. gonna. They weren't gonna show up and, and perform. Yeah, uh, no, or sh- right. fuck, show up at all. Um, yeah. So <laughs> we've all had our share of those guys. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be honest with you on a, on a Friday Saturday night, you hope it's not your dishwasher that decides not to show up. You know? Yeah, there's just about any station you can cover, but yeah. when it comes to the dishwasher, fuck. Yeah, I know. It's because that's a late night job too. You know, you're you're like the last one leaving kind of thing. So that's. But uh, you know, yeah, we've we've all been in that position. We've all had to cover those cover those positions. You know, so nice. So what? How's this when it comes to cooking? Um, whether it's kind of in your past when you're running your restaurants or or as the private chef now, like what inspires you or, or who inspires you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, <clears throat> I, I still think, you know, I mean, cookbooks are always a source of inspiration I'm always kind of collecting a book here and there. Uh, for example, right now I'm reading the nimble cook by Rona Welsh. Um, I'm sorry. I think it's Rona Welsh. I forget her name. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's such an eye opener. It's a really unique book, uh, that, um, so I'm kind of been playing around with some recipes in there. Uh, so I, cookbooks definitely are a source of inspiration by far. Um, I don't really watch cooking shows anymore. Uh, I used to a lot when I was really into it, I think, but, um, I, I really don't so much anymore. I, I think really it, it's, it's the challenge I face in, in today is, is, uh, cooking for personalities now because I'm a private chef at this point in my career. Um, so cooking for personalities, I find that to be extremely challenging, uh, because I'm not cooking what I want to cook. I'm cooking what they want to eat. So, um, you know, for example, like the first, I don't know, two months of my job, I wasn't sure they'd want me to come back the next day. Uh, I would make something and they wouldn't tell me what they wanted necessarily. So I would make something I, that I would do in a restaurant and they would they would be like this tastes like shit like well what is this crap you're feeding us and I'm like we talk about this is good like I make money off of this dish kind of thing but <laughs> it's not their taste and it took me two months to figure out that I'm not cooking for myself or or for a restaurant I don't get to create whatever I want uh, I have to cook what they want what what are they used to eating kind of thing so it's it's very different I find that to be challenged but I find that to be inspiring as well so I, I think books and 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 listening to your customers. Um, can be a, a good source of inspiration. Um, listening to your GM, if you like your GM, um, if they're, <laughs> I say that because not all GMs really are that into food or restaurants for that matter. It's unfortunate. Right. I don't see enough here. Here's the number one thing I, I, I disagree with in restaurants that I don't see enough. I don't see GMs or managers for that matter. I see them holding up the counter in the back, talking to staff, wasting their time. I don't see yeah. them touching tables. That upsets me because I, as a chef, whenever I have time, I touch tables. People love when the chef comes out to the table. And I don't do it for my own accolades. I do it because I want to get that customer back. I want them to come back next week or tomorrow or whenever it is. you know. And I also like to hear when, when something wasn't right, I appreciate the feedback. And I'm very, you know, I'm very humble as, as a chef. I always have been. I always, because I've always felt, hey, this is good, but you can do better. You know? Sure. So uh, feedback from customers, feedback from management, it's always good. Um, sometimes we take it too personally. I know I have in the past. I, I probably wouldn't anymore, but I, I know uh, kind of growing up through the ranks, uh, I've always taken it, took it personally and thought, oh, what do they know? You know? Well, they know quite a bit because if they're doing their job, they're talking to customers and that's the feedback you're getting. Um, you know, you're just, you're kind of blaming the middleman there, you know? Now, one point I want to kind of make sure we kind of touch base here. 
you're talking about talking to the customers in the restaurant right then and not like those fucking Yelp reviews. <laughs> no, I, I don't really, you know, I'll let the management, I'll let front of the house uh, speak to the Yelp reviews. I, I don't really, it, it's so much easier for someone to be critical, uh, you know, when they're typing in a review about something. Um, it's a lot easier, but I, I think in our society today, especially because of technology, I think most people are spineless and they, they don't want to give it to the manager. They don't want to complain in the restaurant. They'll sit there on their phone in the restaurant and write a bad Yelp review, but God forbid if they actually had enough backbone to actually tell the manager, uh, you know, that they're, they're dissatisfied with something, whether it's, you know, a, a bad yeah. glass of wine or whatever it may be. Kind of yeah. Thing. It's like the only thing we want to do is make sure they're happy. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so there's nothing confrontational about saying like, "Hey, I'm just this isn't for me," yeah, or "This sucks," or "There's whatever the the comment happens to be." It's like, "Hey, let us give us opportunity to make it right." Yeah. Instead, you're just gonna go home and like hide behind the screen and just fucking roast us. Yeah, just because, exactly. I don't know. You got dumped that night too, or something. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you give me a chance to make it right, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to, I'm gonna do that 100 of the time. I'm gonna try and make it right for yeah. the customer. You know, because we, we're not perfect. We make mistakes in the in the kitchen. You know, we don't season things sure. properly. We overcook them. Whatever it may be. You know, somebody's lobster's been. You know, whatever it is. And and that and that happens. You know, it's unfortunate, but it happens. You know, and and uh, I, I think the opportunity to to correct the mistakes is is what people need to give. And I think that's something chefs need to accept is, is that they're not perfect. No matter how long they've been doing it, that sometimes, you know, your cook made a mistake. Maybe it wasn't you, but maybe somebody else under you made the mistake. Uh, but give us a chance yeah, to fix I mean, it, you know? Yeah. I mean, mistakes are guaranteed to happen. Yeah. Right. We always try to minimize them, but Hey, like you said, I mean, it's when you're dealing with any kind of volume, you know, it just, the chance of mistakes starts going up a yeah, little bit. So, yeah. But as chefs, um, we tend to sometimes our ego gets in the way, you know. And I'm I've, I've been guilty of that in the past. As I'm older now, I, I I look back a little bit and I think about you know the ego that that was given to me that I gladly accepted, you know, it, it, as I was um, getting a little more notoriety uh, in, in Orange County and everything, and and that was pretty awesome. But you know, looking back, I wasn't like a really egotistical person, you know, I mean, if I was, I probably wouldn't be on the line cooking at every restaurant I've worked at. I'd probably be more on the other side, just yelling at people all day, you know, that's, that's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually exhausting. So yeah, I'd almost rather just be cooking on the line, quite frankly, because you just get in the zone, you know, so. Yeah. I, there's so many chefs out there that are like, man, if all I had to do was just fucking cook. Yeah. Yeah. Because management sucks sometimes, you know. <laughs> Some nights you're just, I just don't, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to deal with with my employees. I don't want to deal with the front of the house. I just want to cook, you know. Like, can somebody else, can we get a yeah. can we get an assistant manager back here to expedite or, you know, a lead or a sous chef or something to expedite? I just feel like cooking and keeping my head down tonight, you know. And that happens also. Nothing wrong with that. No. It's, I mean, it's it's almost like therapy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit cleansing in some ways, you know, emotionally. Yeah. Yes, you're right. The other side of the line is just more of a that mind fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can be. I, I mean, I've, you know, I've uh, some of the high volume restaurants I've been a part of where the chef is just calling tickets on the line and uh, the cooks, uh, none of the cooks have tickets. 
right? Yeah. So you, as a cook, you got to remember everything that's coming at you. And I mean, just four or 500 covers a night kind of thing. And, but on the chef side, you're, you're calling everything, you're timing everything. So, you know, a ticket comes in, you, you write down on the bottom, like, Hey, whatever, you know, the 20 minutes after the ticket comes in and then you just start firing based on how that station's doing at the time. Are they slammed? Are they not slammed? How long is that? I mean, is it a rare steak or a well-done steak? Like, yeah. you know, in, well, but you've well got to hear that with the scallops and then the guy yeah. coming off the steamer. And so that in itself, at the end of those nights, man, you're just, your mind is just fucking mush. Yeah, it, it's definitely an orchestration that has to happen. Yeah, you, you, you don't want the scallops coming up that take about, you know, three minutes to do versus your well-done steak, which, by the way, the only people who order well-done steaks are the guys who just come in and it's an order fire well-done steak. You know, it's never, they never have a, an appetizer or a first course or anything. It's the well done people are, are, that's all they come in. They sit down, they order a well done steak and they wonder, where's my food? It's been 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, where's my steak? I'm like, yeah. I mean, you want me to butterfly it? So, yeah. So Chad, I was going to mention also, um, kind of in the same vein, uh, the difference in the front of the house, how the uh, wait staff in your busters, how and even your management for that matter, but your wait staff primarily. I had two two very different experiences. Very early on, my first job as a chef at a small restaurant in Laguna Beach called Taboo Grill, uh, where I was kind of chef and partner at, at that restaurant. And that was my first chef job, and I was so scared to death of, of failure, I think, that I succeeded uh, very well. But what we had there was a small restaurant, like a 41-seat restaurant. We had probably about five waiters, six waiters maybe all altogether. Um, and we would have about three waiters on every night, uh, on the busier nights, uh, two on the slower nights. Those waiters, I mean, we spent so much – I spent so much time with education, with, with wine, with beer, uh, with food, with pairing kind of thing, what to suggest, going through the food, going through the wine – Letting them taste wine, educating them on wine, something I know a bit about. Uh, and, and those waiters thrived. I mean, they were, they were salespeople, man. They were fantastic. I had some of the best waiters in the world because they realized, hey, if I follow, if I follow Chef, he's going to lead me to the pot of gold every time. And those waiters made bank at that small little restaurant. They did really, really well for themselves. It benefited both of us. Uh, so those waiters can really make or break a restaurant. It isn't necessarily just the cooks in the kitchen. And because that's your sales team right there. Uh, and then versus uh, one of my last uh, executive chef job that I had at a golf course, which we can talk about that a little bit too. Those waiters didn't know anything about food. They didn't know anything about service. They didn't know anything about wine for that matter. Uh, Nor did they care. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of part of the problem I had with some of the staff there. We had, we had a couple bright individuals who understood it and they were very professional and they got it. Uh, and then we had quite a few that really just didn't care. And they would come back with the dumb questions, you know, and, and it was just really, I think we need to reeducate you. You know, based on based on whatever that comment was, and they say there's no such stupid question, but there is. You know, oh yeah, especially after you've been there for a year, and you know, my my biggest frustration are many rollouts when the staff, when I see people not writing things down, I'm there where they're busting our hump to get this food out for them to try, and 
they're not taking notes. They're not taking it very seriously. They, they seem like deer in headlights sometimes. And that, that's, a, that's a big sign right there that you're not sure you can count on your front of the house staff to really sell your product, you know, because they're, they're, so, they're so important to your business. Yeah, no, the, I mean, the ones that, that are really into it and that, that love the food, I mean, they stand out in, uh, in so many ways, just on their own, and they kind of excel on their own, um, and it's so much more fun to just interact with them um, mm-hmm. and just kind of help them, and um, is, I mean, they can you can feel the passion. You kind of feed off each other a yeah. little bit, right, um, and, and they get it. And then I've also had those experiences where you've got those servers that just no matter what, they're just not really going to put the effort in. And I mean, you know who they are because every time you'll get a ticket that comes in, like it'll be like a patty melt, no tomato, no avocado. And you're like, okay, first, that thing doesn't have a fucking tomato near it. And two, <laughs> we don't even have avocado in the building. Uh-huh. Like, like the one, you know, what's, what's the what's the one you sent me? It was shrimp scampi. So, uh with a uh, seafood allergy or a shellfish allergy. <laughs> so, what, what does the customer expect me to do? But how dumb is the waiter to not actually ask the question to the guest? Yeah. You know, like how, how do you, how do you want me to do this? You know? Yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I don't get it. it was fried, sh- fried shrimp. And then, uh, the modifier said shrimp, uh, sea- what seafood allergy. Yeah. Or something yeah like shellfish that. Shrimp yeah, allergy. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, at that point I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Yeah. But you know, and and those, just, th- those are the tickets. You got to hold on to those tickets and, and represent them to the staff <laughs> at the end of the night or the next day. If you're doing a little debrief or something, those are important yeah. ones. And again, it's not to insult the, uh, you know, or to embarrass or insult that, that individual. It really, it's just to call attention to what's wrong with this picture. You know, like I, I, I expect more from you guys out in the front of the house. I can't, I, I don't want to see these things happen. What do we need to do? How about some new training? Do you understand that shrimp is a shellfish essentially? Yeah. You know, well, in that one he did. And it turns out, you know, the story on that one was, it was that modifier was supposed to be on uh, another, uh, another seat. Oh, okay. All right. All and, right. but he forgot to put it in. Um, so he just put it in at the end, <laughs> but yeah. still he never said anything. Yeah. So yeah, someone needs to, you know, we, we had to go find him to be like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. 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 That would actually, you know, and that, so that's just a detail thing yeah. and just not giving a shit about details. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to look on Instagram or something like that and see if there's, there's websites for, you know, chefs or, or guys in the kitchen who post, you know, pictures of, 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 you know, front of the house. Uh, tickets, you know, and kind of how absurd those tickets can get sometimes. It's it's gnarly, and I know it's you know, a lot of it's customer based. I know there's just difficult people out there in the world, but uh, but a lot of times it's just dumb waiters, yeah. you know. Uh, but I mean, it, it, it's a combination, and just when you're on the other side and you're in the kitchen, and it's you know eight o'clock on a Saturday night, and you're just getting drilled, and that ticket comes in, you don't really care who it came from, you know. But it's still like. You got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but as a server, though, it's kind of their job to listen, interpret and and guide, mm-hmm. you know, the the guest. Exactly. And then yeah. kind of interpret to us what that guest needs. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's just something so off the fucking wall, just bring something in and then come talk to yeah, us. Yeah, for sure. 
Hey, so what, what um, happened to the wait staff the last couple of years? I mean, since COVID, everybody was out of a job in a restaurant, it seemed like. But now that everyone's kind of back, it's like, I, I don't know what happened to all the good waiters. They're gone. It's like they were all retired or something. Uh, you know, everyone decided to get up and work for a new restaurant. Maybe they're like, well, it's time to make a change. But I, the restaurants I go to, I still don't see very experienced waiters at these restaurants, you know. I, I, I'm going to give you a quick yeah. story. So not that long ago, my wife and I were up in L.A., and uh, we were staying over the night because we went to see a concert. And we went to this really swanky, cool little restaurant. And uh, um, our, our waiter, now, they weren't even very busy. Our waiter came over, super nice guy, seemed to know what he was talking about. Um, we had really had a good time, but I ordered a bottle of wine. He brought it out, and I wasn't really paying attention to him opening the bottle of wine, uh, but my wife was. And so as he, like, I just said, you can just pour it. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure the bottle's fine. And so he did, and he put the wine in, in, you know, in the ice kind of thing and walked away. And, and my wife says, did you notice that bottle when he opened, he cracked the, because it, it was screw cop. And he said, you notice when he, he cracked that cap, there was no sound. And I'm like, no, I wasn't paying attention. She goes, that bottle has been open. I think he got that from the, from the, from the service bar. He, she said, it wasn't even full. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, so how bad was that? The waiter just grabbed a bottle that wasn't even a full bottle, walked over and didn't even really open the bottle. And it was already missing like a glass of wine out of it. So as I'm actually, so he walked away and, and she's telling me this. And so I'm like, okay, where's, I'm like literally almost holding my hand up. Like, where's the waiter? Can you come back here, please? You know, and it's just that kind of thing where you kind of go, I don't know how anybody could get away with that. You know, I mean, I don't want to hear any excuses about COVID. That's just, you know, that's nonsense. Where's the education, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I, I don't remember, I don't remember a manager. There were two of them on. I don't remember a manager coming over and, and asking, you know, hey, how is everything? We had a manager that was like a manager in training. She came over and like, you know, oh, do you want some two fresh glasses? Because they realized the mistake. The waiter came over and was like, you know, I'm really sorry. He seemed very embarrassed by it and uh, wanted to make it right. And that was great, you know, so, but still, it's just one of those, really? You, you literally are pretending to open a bottle of wine that's already been opened. Didn't you think that was kind of weird? You know? So it's just these experiences that, that I, I, I feel are, are far too common, far too common in today. And, and the front of the house managers really have their work cut out for them uh, to re-educate, uh, I guess, older employees and, sure. and certainly have a, their work cut out uh, trying to educate new, new employees. Yeah. I mean, so I've got a couple thoughts. Like first, like some of the seasoned vets, like, you know, when, when restaurants started closing down, when it comes to service industry, like they literally live not paycheck to paycheck, but day to day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just off their tips. And so they're not going to wait for something to happen. They're going to, but I mean, they go out there, they're going to drive, they're going to go find a job. Um, and by the time things started going, like they were just, where they were. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of, they, they kind of found a new, new home, so to speak. So I kind of think that's what happened with a lot of the vets, um, that were out there. And, and yeah. because of that, there was almost like, almost like a generation gap, right? There's in now, now the newer people coming in, there's, there's no, none of that seniority to help train them, um, or guide mm -hmm. them. Yeah, you're right. And it's so, uh, but in, and I've seen so much lack of a better term coddling mm. with the front of the house yeah. and yeah. you know, it's like, Oh, it's okay. They don't know this. And 
we're you know we're we're not gonna we're gonna they weren't gonna try to train them or um you know right. I, I forget some of the stupid shit I've heard. Yeah, well, I I, I can uh, see that, and I think I think coddling is a, pr- a pretty good appropriate word for that, and I, I think it's because. Everyone needs help. You know, restaurants are maybe not fully staffed or some restaurants are just having a hard time finding employees uh, and, and they don't want to push too hard and have that employee quit on them because they're, now they're back to now they're back to zero. It's like, well, I had five for right. the house and I need I need 10. I can't afford to be, you know, too demanding of anybody because I need that fifth person. You know, I, I got to cover shifts, literally just have nobody to work. Well, for me, though, I've seen like just basic steps of service are just eliminated because they don't want to try to train it Mm -hmm. or hold that person accountable. Like I've seen it where if someone orders a bottle of wine, right, it's the bartender will come out and open it for you or the manager will the server, the servers don't even know how to fucking open wine. (laughs) Yes. I mean, you just covered that. Right. And, And so, but, and, but they're like, you know what? Hey, don't worry about, you don't need a wine key. You don't, I'm not going to teach you. How to open a bottle of wine. Yeah, I did that at another restaurant, as a matter of fact. Apparently, the Achilles heel is opening a bottle of wine for for front of the house. Because I I, I did that at another restaurant. I opened a bottle of wine for a girl because she came out and she was so nervous. And she was like, it was like her second day or something. And she didn't know what to do. And I'm like, I could totally tell. You know, it was so obvious. And so I got up and I'm like, would you mind if I just showed you how to do this? I'm like, no, I'm a chef. Like, I worked in restaurants for a long time. I'm just going to, can I help you with this? Um, and I'm, I'm a professional drinker, so I know how to open a bottle of wine in less than three <laughs> seconds, you know, kind of thing. But, uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm, I, of course I'm going to show her how to do it because the manager hasn't, you know, kind of thing. So it, it's, I, I feel bad for people in those situations, but there, there does need to be an expect, there has to be expectations. There has to be expectations in the front of the house. Yeah, and right now it seems like the only expectation is show up. Yeah, just show up and clock in, and I I hope you're on time. And if you're not, well, can you please be on time tomorrow? Yeah. So we'll just jump back into cooking a little bit here. All right. Um, What is the one tool that is an absolute must that's in your toolkit, whether it was Uh, a chef knife? No, it's got to be a chef knife. I, I, I think it's that simple. Um, I found that there are far too many utensils in kitchens. Um, okay. You know, we use a lot of we use a lot of metal spoons, of course. Um, that's fine. Uh, stainless steel pan. You know, uh, I think that's a must. Not this aluminum crap that that just you know doesn't wear well. Uh, sure. Good stainless steel pan, but honestly, a chef knife. I, I think you got to learn how to utilize one knife for multiple purposes. And uh, that'll save you. That'll save you time. Um, but also, it, it makes you a better cook if you can if you can use one knife all the time. Um, I have a, I use a, a vegetable cleaver more or less um, that I've I've used since geez I don't know uh, forever for I don't know more than 16, 17 years I've had this knife and I still use it every day every day. And it's just, I've gotten so good with this knife, I, I don't really need anything else. I, I use paring knives um, to open plastic bags, you know, kind of thing. Um, paring knife has its, its purpose. Right, also. right, right. No, definitely a chef knife. Chef knife, for sure. All right, what's the second thing that comes out of your kit um, after your chef knife? Jesus, I have a kit, I don't know, it's a culinary school. 
since my since my second job probably um <laughs> i would say maybe a good fish spatula okay you know and it, honestly it really depends on the station you're working on too you know you're going to have different tools for different stations you know some things are appropriate and other things you're never going to need if i'm working on a grill i don't need a fish spatula you know um, a different type of spatula you know just a long offset handled spatula sure. is probably going to work a little bit better uh, for those grill grates than, than a fish spatula would. But, uh, so it really depends on station, I think, no, you I, know, but I, I think having a little bit of something for everything is important. Sure. No, I, I mean, I, I love my fish spat. I, I use it for just about everything at home. So. Oh, you know what my favorite tool is right now? Cause I, I've never seen this before. I, I, this is I'm like, what a lame little piece of instrument this is. And, and it's almost kind of debatable. If it wasn't like in a kitchen, you'd wonder what this might get used for. It's a little silicone tube, and it's about three, four inches long, and it's meant for peeling garlic. So you put garlic, you put garlic cloves in, and you rub it on on you know your 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 counter kind of thing, and it helps peel the garlic for you. Because I hate peeling garlic, I friggin' hate peeling garlic, and I love this little tool. It's like my little go-to, you know. Yeah, that's cool. That's kind of one of my useless gadgets. That, but those are the kind of things you don't you don't need those in a kitchen. You know, you don't need that in in your in your knife kit kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, man. So we're going. So let me see. It's ten fifty two. We kind of have to wrap this up a little bit, right? Sure. I wasn't sure. I mean, kind of where you're at on some of the timing. So um, I'm okay. I got I got time. Um. Uh, we're going through, so I'm just looking at some of the questions I've got. We've kind of covered a lot of this as we go through. Um, you know, like you mentioned, the, you know, I have on here like some of the biggest challenges facing the industry today. Like, I mean, would you still say it's the front of the house, um, or is there some other element um, of the restaurant industry that's, I don't want to call it crisis mode, but just kind of that has come out of COVID in such a different way where it's just like, man, it's, it's almost concerning. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it, it's, it's always easier to train a waiter, a busboy, uh, a front of the house manager, you know, for them, half of their job is memorization. The other half is personality. And then they just fall into a routine. Um, but I definitely think it's much harder to, to hire cooks because depending on how specialized your restaurant is, uh, it, that can be extremely difficult, you know, and that takes a long time. It's not like you just hire somebody and you tell you should give them a recipe and they follow it because we all know what happens when you give somebody, you can give, you know, three ingredients to, to three different people and you're going to have three different recipes. Yep. They're not going to taste the same. So technique is very important and, and it takes a long time to teach technique. You know, that is, that is the hidden art of cooking. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all technique. Yeah. Technique and finesse. Yep. Uh, you know, I was going to add one more thing, sure. actually, Chad. Uh, I, I think, you know, as far as I was thinking about books that I've been reading and books I've been, I, I always go back to. And, and if the, one thing I could probably say for people coming out of culinary school uh, or just getting into this business, again, you don't have to go to culinary school to be a, to be a, a really fine chef, uh, to, to be a good cook. No. It's not necessary. You just... But you got to work at it. Everybody has to work at it. I, I think, again, um, what I would say is vegetable cookery. Don't worry about, you know, how to grill a filet perfectly because maybe you already do that at home. 
what I would say, and I feel like that's the one thing we didn't do enough of. We, it was always protein centric, you know, and I think most people's mindset is always protein centric. It's like, okay, I got, you know, I've, I've got a New York steak and here's what I want to put with it. But you're always thinking about that New York steak first. And what I've kind of learned over probably the last 10 years I've, that I've kind of tried to focus more on is doing starting a dish being more vegetable centric and then saying, hey, what protein could I add to this if I wanted to? And so the perfect books for those, the ones I always go back to, I'm gonna give a shout out to Yotam Adelonghi because that guy is amazing. His first book uh, that I bought was Plenty. Um, he's got about five or six cookbooks out there, I think. I've got four of his now. Uh, but his vegetable cookery is absolutely insane. And by the way, he's not a vegetarian. <laughs> I just assumed he was by all that. I know. He actually was asked to start writing articles on vegetarian food for uh, for a magazine. I think it was The Guardian or something like that. And, um, and uh, so he started writing you know, recipes and ideas for vegetable cookery for vegetarians through this magazine. And then I, I don't know if he just fell into it from there, but obviously he saw a niche, Yeah, you know, and uh, his books are incredible. So anybody looking for yeah. a good vegetarian cookbook, uh, Plenty by Yotam Adelonghi. It's an amazing book. And I promise if you, if you do a couple recipes out of there, you're going to get hooked and you're going to want to, you're going to want to pick up some of his other books. No. Yeah. The, I like a lot of his books as well. Plenty is a great one. And I mean, you're right. I mean, so the vegetable centric, it almost seems to be like the new trend, Uh, you know, that's, that's coming along, Um, you know, again, and I think it's because it's kind of a lost art. People, people don't, you don't think about that. You don't think about, oh, I want to go out to eat tonight. What vegetable do I feel like eating? (laughs) You know, you're always like, oh, do I feel like salmon? Do I feel like a steak? Do I want shrimp? You know? Oh yeah. I got that allergy thing. Yeah, and I, I remember just designing <laughs> my allergy thing, that, uh, um, you know, designing menus and creating menus, and I just come up with these vegetarian dishes, and everything would be great. It would taste fantastic. It would look beautiful, and it, we'd all stand around looking at it, and we were like, you know, it's like oh, it's missing something. Right? We couldn't figure it out what it was, and it's like you know what's missing? Was it the garnish? <laughs> yeah, the garnish, which was the protein. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You know, it's like, dude, you know, it, it needs like yep. a big piece, you know, whether it's salmon or yep. halibut or scallops or, you know, yep. or, or, you know, a uh, uh, braised shank or something on there. You know, yeah. It was like, you know, because mentally we're just so used to, you know, start with your protein and then kind of build around it. Yeah. And so yeah. when once we got rid of that concept of that protein, we were just designing vegetarian dishes. It just it was mentally very challenging to kind of get past that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and I, I, I would say majority of restaurants, they, their vegetarian dish that they'll put on a, on a, on a menu is based on whatever's left over, whatever they <laughs> order for other, other dishes. And yeah. half the time it's sauteed, you know, uh, I, I hate the term steamed vegetables because you know what they're doing. They're actually blanching, not steaming first off. Yep. How many times do you see cooks pulling a basket of wa- a basket of vegetables? You know, like, there's nothing worse than cauliflower that's been boiled and not seasoned properly. Like there's nothing. I'm like, oh my god, you actually pay for that? That is just, oh, how can yeah. you do that? So yeah, I mean that right there should be inspiration enough <laughs> for, for a chef or a cook for anybody to say, hey, maybe there's a better way to serve this. But yeah, it's always been kind of the leftover, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you this. I got a question for you, Chad. Yeah. What what words in, in our business because uh, do you think are overplayed or you just don't like seeing in general on menus? Oh, fuck. Um, man, that's – I don't even know how to go down that. I mean that's just kind of a rabbit hole of – Yeah. Um, because it's mine, – Mine would have to be premium. <laughs> I'll just throw mine out there while you're thinking of something. Premium. Premium. Okay. And, and natural is another one because natural doesn't actually mean anything anymore. It no. used to. But premium is not a word, you know, like a, a premium steak. And, and you hear it like, you know, like the advertising kind of thing. Premium steaks. And it's like, what what does that mean? It's That's not a grade of meat. Premium is not a grade of anything. No. Chicken, pork, and, you know, seafood. It's not a grade. It's just premium. It's top shelf, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the one thing that I'm just tired of seeing is all the branding on menus. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and because all that is is marketing. And it's just marketing companies that are creating stuff that and they're paying for their menus to be printed or maybe they're yeah. you know, giving you yeah. something else as well. but. Mm-hmm. And but these marketing companies are taking words that used to mean something and should mean something, yeah, and just dragging them through the dirt until they don't mean anything anymore. And then you know they leave that fucking horse dying in the ditch over there, and then find a new word. Yeah, just just yeah. destroy. And so um, you know, I've mentioned it in other shows here, but I mean, like the concept of sustainability. You know, that mm-hmm. used to be a thing. Um, and it used to mean something. Um, yeah. And then, but marketing companies got a hold of it. Um, yeah. Artisanal, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's I, a good one, too. That used to be a great word, too. I think that yeah, one, yeah, certain's I, been played out. You know, and I'm just like, artisanal, okay. I'm going to um, find that at Burger King pretty soon. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so factory processed fill-in-the-blank is now artisanal. Um, yeah, yeah, because they mean, gave it a rustic look. Oh, somebody thought it up. Yeah, <laughs> so that makes you know he someone Phil and the Phil in accounting thought this would be a great idea, and so you know we're calling it artisanal because Phil had a Phil had an artistic idea yeah, of, of how yeah. we can package this product. You yeah. know, so yeah, I for mean, sure. words like that where it's just I mean, um, or just uh, there's it's hard to say if there's another specific word, but just unnecessary fluff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lack of genuality. Is that a word? Genuality? I don't know if that's a word. Fucking, um, I'll go with it. Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and say that's a word. It is now. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lack of that. Uh, I think in in menus today. And yeah, everyone's looking for the you know. I I, I, I do think it's important. I, I think it's great actually. I mean, in some regards, to be able to to. to you know, tell people where your food's coming from. Like, hey, this particular farm, it's Salmon Creek or whatever it may be. You know, it's Iberica ham kind of thing. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with that, of course. But no. when they go into all the, the descriptive words, you know, that, you know, the, the premiums of the world and the artisanals, that's just a, that's just a bridge they don't need to go down. No, and I mean, cross. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, you don't go down a bridge, do you? No, like more like a ladder. Yeah, it's a bridge you don't have to cross. Yeah, necessary. I mean, there's there's some. I mean, it, if the if the item you you're showcasing has like a true pedigree, then absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But don't use it or just to just to use it. 
Yeah, just for the same I mean, reason. It's um, that doesn't necessarily make sense, but um, no, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Don't don't use it because there's just no need for it. You can just it's just too many words on a on a menu. Quite frankly, I think we could just read less, and that would be okay. It's not describing the the dish at all. It's just it's just fluff. Yeah, you know? and I mean, but like I said, I mean, you throw the pedigree on there. Um, but I, it, there's also I've seen it where some of those restaurants that are going out there that you know they're not using their berico, you know. But it's like <laughs> a berico something that you're like, no, it's fucking not, you know. And it's I think yeah. it's just part of everybody. Yeah. It, and unfortunately, the guest is just, you know, they, they're ignorant to it. Um, they don't yeah. know that this person really doesn't have that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's uh, you know so they're they're kind of just trying to. To cheat their way through it. Yeah. You know yeah. what the best example of that is right there? Beef short ribs. <laughs> Beef short ribs, my friend. And you, you know that, right? That's not short rib. That's chuck meat. Don't, yeah. don't try and pass this off as short rib, man. Yeah, the, the boneless the short rib. The taste. Yeah, between boneless short rib and, and beef chuck. <laughs> yeah. No, but they get sold rib. on that. You know, yeah. I've been sold on that as well. And I'm like, I don't know. I'll, I'll do this, but I don't I don't feel good about putting this on a menu. And it's like, no, I, I, I can't do this. I, I can't call it a short rib. It, it doesn't really taste like short rib. Yeah, it's a pot know? roast. It is. Yeah. 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 But it's premium grade. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, but that's the, the concept of short rib is, is an interesting one because that's also the concept of marketing getting involved because short rib for a long time, like, man, I don't know, call it 20 years ago, 15 years ago, was a very underutilized cut. And it was cheap shit. Yeah. And they were, the beef industry itself was like, okay, how do we kind of start moving this? Because all of a sudden we are becoming like a, a, a freezer backlog of this stuff. Right. And, yeah, because what we're selling is New York ribeye and filet. Yeah, everybody was going for yeah. those middles. And so, uh, so some chefs got behind it and started creating recipes and people were just like, holy shit, this is great. And you know, it was about the time the sous vide was becoming a little more popular, and you'd see like the seventy-two hour short rib. Um, yeah, right. And and then all of a sudden, like it became so damn popular that it was more expensive than buying uh, uh tenderloin beef tenderloins. And it's yeah, like, it's, it, it's ridiculous. And it was like, man, this used to be the cheapest cut of the animal. Now it's one of the most expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and it, for sure. It, it doesn't mean it's because the quality is that much greater. It's just now the demand is there and it's right. like, yep. but people keep fucking buying it. And you're like, motherfuckers find something else. <laughs> oh, right? and they do. They do. I mean, hence the flat iron steak. You know, I think I was using flat irons back yeah. in about 2004 is when I started buying flat iron steaks, you know? Sure. Um, and they were kind of, I think a little bit new on the scene. At least they were, you know, where I live. Um, but they were kind of new on the scene in, in Orange County, and I'm like, yeah, let's let's go with that. I mean, cost wise, it was economical. I didn't have to put a forty dollar steak on a menu. It was that was always nice to have, um, you know. So yeah, it, it always goes through trends, you know. And, and obviously, the the industry kind of picks the direction because um, it's all based on price, and that's how you know chefs have to shop price a lot of times. There's a lot of things you'd love to put on a menu. I think looking back. If I could never put filet on the menu ever again, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Um, just because it's so overplayed, everybody everybody has a filet. I don't I don't want to be like every other restaurant out there. And and oh, you got a filet on the menu? Yeah, I got a filet. 
Well, that just goes to the next part. Like I said, like marketing with the beef industry, like there, I mean, there's only so many fucking cuts of animal or muscles on a, on a, on a cow. But Mm -hmm. like now there's like new cuts. I'm like, no, it's not a new cut. I mean, like the Manhattan, yeah, the Manhattan strip. Okay. So you do a (laughs) thick cut New York strip and then cut it in half. (laughs) So, you know, now it's a Manhattan filet. Yeah. It's a fucking New York strip. Yeah, it's you just cut a New York strip in half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's in, that annoys the shit out of me when yeah. people go for that too. And it's like, god damn it. Yep. So, all right. Anything else we're not talking about? Well, I was going to mention the one thing that uh, it, it it didn't really occur to me until I, I think I got into you know the last job I had for nine years as executive chef at at a at a golf club. And uh, it was a public course, and when I got into that job, it, it, it was in dire need of, of help on the food and beverage side, for sure. Um, they were doing pretty good banquets, golf tournaments, a few weddings uh, a year kind of thing, and, and I stepped in and saw an incredible opportunity, this gorgeous backdrop of this location, and um, nice golf course, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think, again, going back to what we, I think, started out talking about, which was opportunity, Never let an opportunity pass you by. Uh, I, I managed. I managed in that restaurant to create so much more work for myself. Had I just left it alone and maybe just improved the food a little bit, uh, then I probably I probably would have stayed there longer because it would have been comfortable. Um, but we wouldn't have had the clientele we did. You know, I, I took a, a two million dollar F and B and turned it into nearly four million dollars in probably the first few years. Nice. Uh, by by, I think about year four, year five, we had almost doubled our F and B sales, um, and that drove golf revenue as well because people would come. Uh, people would come to our restaurant. Literally, I, I remember two guys fly down from San Francisco. They would play different golf courses, but they always came to my golf course to eat. And guess what they always ate? Filet. Filet. <laughs> yep, filet. So never let an opportunity pass you by. Um, take advantage of everything. If if you are just going to be starting out as a dishwasher or starting out as a lonely veg cook like I was, take advantage of that position. Learn everything. Do it perfect every time. And pay attention to the next position. Pay attention to the guy working next to you who has, who's been there a little bit longer. Let him show you the ropes and his position as well. Uh, learn how to do that um, because that's the, your next job is is what he does. And you don't want to – your boss is not going to give you a job doing something you don't know how to do. He might give you that job on veg kind of thing like like he, like my boss did to me. But he's not going to – you're not going to move up by not already knowing that next position. You're going to move up a lot. You're going to transition a lot better by already having some – by already having some value – uh, yep. in that position, you know, so you, you've got to maintain that value and take advantage. I take advantage of every position I've ever had. And I moved up very quickly. Uh, and I've done well for myself. You know, I had expectations of myself, of course, uh, I work very hard. I hate being late. So I was always early. And, uh, and I think that's probably the number one thing you've got to put in the work. Nobody's going to do it for you. You can complain all day long that your boss sucks, that nobody listens to you, that, you know, whatever, whatever your gripes, whatever your complaints are, Go home and say that in the mirror if you want, but you know you you've got to show up and you've got to do the work and it is hard work, but it's very satisfying. And what I love about it also, instant gratification. 
you get to hear back from staff how, you know, oh, Table 5 loves, they love that dish, you know. They love the steamed broccoli. Cauliflower was the example. Yeah. You know, they whatever just, it is. <laughs> steamed broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, but, I mean, when you put that plate together and you're like, damn, that's beautiful. Right? Yeah. I mean, right. that, that alone is the instant gratification if you, even is. if you don't hear back from them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I don't no. know. I, I, I got a question for you, Chad. Can you... Are you good at just mentally putting food together? Like you, you, you know what everything tastes like, you know, and and so you can literally just put a, a dish together in your mind, just based based on knowing how everything tastes. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's yeah. a, I think that's something to strive for because you know I, I think as chefs we get to we elevate ourselves to that point where we're able to do that. Yeah. No. I mean, that's it's develop your taste memory. Yeah. And I mean, that's just try everything, you know, oh man, new servers and stuff like that. Like, do you have chicken nuggets? No. You know, it's like, dude, part of the training is eat everything. I don't really give a shit if you don't like this. Yeah. Like, unless you have a major allergy or a a legit, like, religious reason, you can't have something, you're going to fucking eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, don't, I I just don't like this. I, I don't really care. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's why they say vegetarians make the worst servers. Oh God. <laughs> Cause it, 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 we've all had that where it's like, you know, yeah. well, how's the, how's the New York prepared, you know, whatever it may be, oh. or how's the salmon. And they're like, well, I don't know. I'm a vegetarian. I'm like, I didn't ask you your personal, I, yeah. I didn't ask you if you're a vegetarian. So you don't, nobody cares. Fish, that, that's fine. But give me, tell me something like sell me on something. I'm giving you an opportunity to sell me on the salmon dish. You know, yeah. don't tell me you're a vegetarian. Cause that's just, Dumb, and I'm like, yeah, oh, I'm okay. Sorry. In that case, how's the steamed cauliflower? I, I you know, <laughs> well, it's actually blanched. <laughs> um, oh, good. Thanks for clarifying. Thank you. Yeah, so, so they use way now. too much butter. <laughs> probably, probably. Well, you got to make it taste good. Yeah. No, and then just kind of recap uh, or touch base on what you're mentioning earlier with uh, just taking advantage of everything. You know, the other thing is. On-the-job training happens when you first show up to that restaurant. Yeah. And you're going to work with someone one-on-one on whatever that station is you're on. And that will be the last time you work one-on-one with somebody on the station. Yeah, you're probably probably right about that. Yeah, you're just you know, expected so to know. So once you're it. in the building, yeah, every day is now on-the-job training with everybody else. And, yeah, yeah it's don't wait for – for the chef or manager, whoever it is to put you on that next station so you can learn it. Right. Like, no, it's, you only get put on that station. Two things like battlefield promotion. Someone didn't Mm -hmm. show up and you're just the best next, the next best option. Yeah. You know, um, or you just, next thing you know, you're getting scheduled there because you've been covering it or working on it. And, and they see that, Hey, you know what? They, they can pull this off and they'll start scheduling you on, slower days of the week just to kind of build you up and <laughs> that's yeah. your training is, yeah, is working yeah. slower days you know so they can kind of minimize uh, any fuck ups yeah um yep. but yeah that's that's on the job training so yeah, don't expect sure. to, like well I, I wasn't trained on this you know, yeah you were yeah so my I mean, my first job at uh, at roy's in newport beach um again first time ever working in a kitchen and, and you're absolutely right you're absolutely right but uh, I remember coming home, and this is just a funny little story. 
uh, coming home. And I, I don't know if it was like my first night or if it was probably my first month I'd been working there. And uh, I woke my wife up in the middle of the night calling back tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Fire 32. Fire 27. <laughs> She's like, what are you what is what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, they were calling out tickets in your sleep last night, your numbers. And I'm like, oh my God, those are table numbers. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? Yeah. 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 Um, or you go to sleep just listening to the sound of the printer. <laughs> You're just like, it won't go away. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, I never thought about that actually, but that yeah. is hysterical. Totally. It's like, it's white noise. It's, it's like noise. it's like just a yep. constant ringing in yep. your ear now. That's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. the second job I had, we as cooks, so I worked at the Napa Rose at uh, the Grand Californian Hotel at Disneyland here in Anaheim. And uh, that was my second job. And what an incredible place that was. And that was uh, Disney's when they built that hotel. They wanted a fine dining restaurant on the West Coast because they don't have anything other than like Goofy's Kitchen out here. They don't have a serious <laughs> – they didn't have a serious restaurant uh, in, in, right. in California, Disney. Um, they do back east in Florida but not out here. So they, they built the Napa Rose to be exactly that, um, a 234-seat fine dining restaurant. Um, and they probably, I don't, wouldn't say it's true fine dining, but I'll tell you what, it was pretty damn close, um, because we had incredible people working there, extremely knowledgeable, awesome place. I get in working there and it was a very hard job, um, which I really appreciated. No tickets. Can you imagine a 234 seat restaurant? And as a cook, I got no tickets. Everything got called out to you. And that scared the death. I mean, I was I'm like, there's no way I'm going to remember this. My memory is horrible to begin with. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to remember these. And it takes time. But I learned that the value of that is that if you if you stand there and watch your cooks, they spend a lot of time staring at tickets. Where am I? Yeah. Where am I? You know? And they're worrying about the wrong fucking thing. Yeah. Well, they're, they're wasting time. They're spending 15, 20% of their time reading a ticket. If that ticket were just called out to them, and they call it back and they might forget it, but then there's communication. Hey, chef, you know, I've got, you know, four chickens coming up and one's no sauce. Another one is, you know, extra well done or something like that. You know, and, and then it's like you just have that quick conversation. The chef's going to be like, yeah, no, here's to keep you on track. But that's the beauty, beauty of it. I mean, the no ticket aspect, I thought that was just brilliant. Honestly, if I, if I, yeah. if I started a restaurant, uh, that, that's exactly what I would do. I would go to the no ticket system. Um, just to yeah. keep keep things uh, flowing better, keep your head down. You're able to you're able to spend more time cooking. You're not forgetting things because you're only cooking. You're only cooking. Yeah, that's the only thing you have to worry yeah. about is just don't fuck it up. Yeah, you know. And remember that extra well done chicken is coming up with that steamed cauliflower. <laughs> well, that's the only way to serve it. I think you know? yeah. steamed yeah, yeah. cauliflower and 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 well done chicken. That sounds yeah. That sounds like you'll be in business for about a day. <laughs> uh, extra butter extra butter on the side though <laughs> yeah but hey make sure that extra well done chicken isn't dry <laughs> yes yes absolutely yeah. I gotta say the yep. one thing I'll probably never put on a menu again is is smoked chicken uh, because in the smoking process you tend to get kind of a, a red ring uh, around the exterior of the oh. chicken in the flesh itself you know I can't tell yeah. you how many returns I would get on that. This chicken's raw. It's not cooked. And I'm like, no, literally it's cooked. That's actually just the coloring it gets as it's, you know, as it's being cooked. 
yep. yeah, I, I took that off the menu. I never, I've never done, you know, smoked chicken since. That was, that was the one time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even out here in Texas, you know, where everything's fucking smoked. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's always a challenge because you'll have it like because it doesn't cook at a high temp either, and so the the flesh will always have a little bit of a pink to it. Yeah. Um, you know, just whether it's from the smoke or, or what have just you, the natural but, color of the chicken. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, but the amount of people just freaking out about it, you know, and it's like, I mean, you can't argue with them. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. Just, what you can do, take it and try and make it well done and juicy, I guess. Yeah. That tends to happen. Um, all right, brother. Yeah, cool. Man. Well, unless you got something else. Let me oh, ask you this. Yeah. What do you geek out on the most when it comes to food and cooking? Uh, I don't know. Um, lately, I would have to say Neapolitan pizza dough. Um, that's kind of what I've been geeking out on lately because I have a really good pizza dough restaurant or recipe, but this is a different – again, you can use the same recipe but make the dough differently and you have different results. So I would sure. say I'm kind of – obsessed right now with making the perfect Neapolitan pizza dough. Hmm. Okay. Outside of that, I don't geek out too much on anything, I don't think. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, because a Neapolitan pizza dough is flour, water, yeast, right? I don't yeah. think it's allowed to have salt in it. Uh, like a true. Yeah. I, I don't know that. I mean, I guess it, it depends on which guy from Italy. I mean, yeah, watch, we're, I you're not trying to go for. Yeah. yeah, you're not trying to go for any Neapolitan certification in your fucking. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't. So. I don't have the perfect, you know, pizza oven that's got the exact right number of tiles on the outside. That's. I mean, literally, they are that specific in Italy with Neapolitan pizzas. The the cooking vessel has to be the exact right size. It holds this many of these one by one inch tiles. It's insane how ridiculous it can get. So a little salt in your pizza dough doesn't really hurt, I don't think. I think that's probably the last thing uh, they'd be worried about. But but emulating hmm. it as, as, as much as possible, you know. Sure. You like that pizza oven you got? I do, actually. Um, it's not the best thing in the world, but I love that it's. I can move it. It's not, you know, it's just a, an uni, uh, U-U-N-I, not O-O-N-I. I, I think that's a different brand, or maybe they renamed their own brand. I have no idea. But, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it, actually. Uh, we've just been doing some pizzas lately. But before that, I had a, a salt brick, um, just like a pink Himalayan salt brick kind of thing that's good for serving on. I put that in there and heated it up with the oven. And then I did a couple of dry-aged ribeye steaks on there on, on top of the uh, salt bricks and cooked it that way. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, was, that was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I like it. It, it doesn't, it, it's stainless steel and it, it, it doesn't really hold heat very well. Every time you open that door, it drops heat pretty quick. So you have to be a little fast, I suppose. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it does pretty well. Yeah. I'm, I'm overall, I'm pretty happy with it. It, it. Again, just like anything, like a recipe, it kind of takes practice to get it down, you know? Yeah. Oh, and so I just looked it up. They, uh, they did change their name. Okay. All right. They went from U-U-N-I to O-O-N-I. Which they said, which is phonetically, is is the phonetic spelling. Huh. So I, I bet they just had so much. They didn't figure that people. out the first time. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, I, I believe they're in a European company that came to the U.S. and were like, oh, man, I didn't think we'd have to be yeah. struggling with something as simple as 
Yep. Well, I, I think for the price, they're a couple hundred bucks. Um, mine's not just a pizza oven. It's like the Pro or something. So it's it's just a little taller vessel. Uh, and they, they have accessories also. Like, I, you know, I bought a little cast iron um, pot that I'll do like uh, seafood stews or chipinos in. It has a, a top to it as well that doubles as like a sizzle platter kind of thing if you wanted to do, you know. Cool. Um, you know, your cauliflower. I think we're bringing it all around to your blanched cauliflower. You can put that in there too and actually give us some character if you want. Oh, at that point, man, it's already been boiling for, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's ready for puree. It's ready to be pureed. Yeah. I mean, the chances are too, it, you know, it, it was the first thing up in the window. And uh, and then by the time your well-done chicken came up, they needed to blanch your cauliflower again. Oh, yeah. Um, to get it up. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, you got to be careful with food sitting in a hot window, man. That stuff will just uh, it'll it'll destroy everything you make. That's for sure. It'll yeah. boil. It'll boil well, I mean, and stick every sauce you have to a pan to uh, to the plate. Yeah, it ruins yeah. food. So I mean, that's what it's for, though, is to keep all the food hot, though, right? Uh, no. Yeah, no, it's a fucking warmer. Yeah, I, it's there keep to... my plate hot. But yeah, yeah, I always get nervous when I see restaurants that don't have that, and I see food sitting, and it's like. Man, that's that food is not going to be like. If I were the chef, I'd be like, guys, this has got to go out. You know, we we don't have we don't have a warming station here to hold this food warm. It's got to go out. It's room temperature here. It's seventy five degrees in this restaurant. You know, this food's cooling down really fast. Mm-hmm. No, I've had one kitchen too where the makeup air would blow down oh. almost just like. Yep. Right down in between the line and like where the cooks were plating. Yep. So I mean. And like during the winter, it would be cold as fuck. Yeah. And it was just like getting hot food into that window was yep. like, man, it was like once it came time to plate, it was like, everybody now go. And we had no control over this like tornado of like Arctic front just blowing yeah. on the line. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in that situation too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Air conditioned makeup air, you know, and, and it's yeah. like really in the winter. Yeah, in the winter, even even in Orange County, it gets a little chilly. It doesn't get cold, but it gets a little chilly. Nobody nobody wants that though on the line. It's great in summer, I guess, but uh, but yeah, a little too warm, a little too cold. Right. Well, Chef, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Chad. It was great talking to you. I yep. appreciate it. And thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Pressure Cooker. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you on how we're doing. And lastly, if you'd like to be on the show, go to InsideThePressureCooker.com and fill out the form. It'll tell me a little bit about you, some of your story, and how it applies to the show. We'd love to hear from you and love to have you on the show.